since meditation really saved me from addiction, but also, I think, saved my life. My goal at my age right now is to reach as many people as possible. And whatever it is that's gotcha about recovery, I can surely give you some help. Because it really uh, is something that changes your entire perspective. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 139. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. At the time of recording, we've just started the run-up to the festive season, so people are joining our annual fundraiser to get 30 days of online and community support. We've got plenty of people doing a dry December with us. People who are going to start 2023 feeling fantastic rather than exhausted and hungover. If you'd like to join us, just go to tribesober.com and hit annual fundraiser. You'll get 30 days of support from a date of your choosing. You can do a dry December or a dry January, your call. So let's get to this week's podcast guest, who is Chuck Shad. He's the founder of the Inner Theatre, which offers mindfulness and meditation programs. He's passionate about meditation, which has actually been a life-changing experience for him. Chuck is going to share his story with us, and he ends our conversation with a five-minute meditation, which will enable you to breathe and take a pause if you get the urge to drink. So there'll be no summary or outro on this episode. Chuck's got this amazingly soothing voice, so I don't want to break the spell. I don't want to break into that relaxed state that you'll be in at the end of the meditation. So this week, I'll pull out some key points before the conversation so that we can end the episode in silence. As you will hear in a moment, Chuck and his wife came of age in the late 60s when he began to dabble in meditation. He even studied it with a Vietnamese monk. But then life got in the way. Two kids and two busy careers meant that meditation got shelved for a while. Chuck went through a difficult period in his life which caused him to step up his drinking. And the combination of a business failure and a son with a drug problem 
sent him to AA for help for his alcohol dependence. However, it wasn't really the right fit for him, and he sometimes had a beer on the way home to calm his nerves. He was feeling totally strung out, so he went to his doctor who prescribed benzos for his anxiety. Chuck then became addicted to benzos and had to go to a hospital for help to stop taking them. The combination of alcohol and benzos is not a good one, as we heard on last week's podcast interview with Janet D. Chuck began reading about Eastern meditation and then began to meditate daily with Sadhguru. He began to feel so much better that he began to give talks about meditation at local libraries. His passion for meditation grew and he was offered a job running sessions at an inner city clinic. Meditation changed everything for Chuck. It gave him distance and made him realise he didn't need external help for his problems. He had the answers within. You'll hear Chuck explain that we have between 20,000 and 70,000 individual thoughts every 24 hours. But meditation enables us to flip the coin and watch these thoughts, to be the witness and break the spell. It enables us to take a step back, to settle ourselves and to learn how to self-soothe. So important in early sobriety particularly. Chuck and I talk about the demands of corporate life and the fact that some progressive organisations are hiring him to run meditation sessions for their employees. He talks about using meditation in recovery and we discuss the value of reframing. Just as here at Tribe Sober we say, getting sober is an opportunity to change your life, he says recovery is an invitation. You can find Chuck at theinnertheatre.com and his Facebook page is Chuck Shad. I'll put all that in the show notes. Our conversation is going to end with Chuck doing a five-minute meditation, which will enable you to take a pause whenever you get triggered and feel like having a drink. So even if you've never meditated before, please give this session a try. It's just five minutes. But if you close your eyes, get comfortable and listen to Chuck's amazingly soothing voice, I promise you, you'll be in a different state afterwards and you may well be able to resist any cravings to drink. So keep this podcast handy on your phone so that you can quickly tune into those last five minutes and do the meditation whenever you need it. So let's get to the conversation. I began by asking Chuck how he got into meditation in the first place. So we moved out to California. We got introduced to meditation through Ramdas, And then uh, we came back to Connecticut, and there happened to be a Vietnamese monk that was around, and he was starting to have classes for Americans. And so we studied with him for about a year and a half. I were big time meditators, retreats, all that stuff. And then my wife got pregnant with our first kid. And it seems like meditation just went right out the window and we never picked it up again. I was interested in it and so was she, but we were just kind of dabbling and we weren't really doing it because we had so many other things to do. So fast forward to the time of my life that you're asking about. We went for about, I don't know, 
25 years drinking probably too much and saying that we needed to do that because of all the stress we're under, running the business, having two kids. You know, we just kept on. And then um, a series of kind of unfortunate things happened. We um, got involved with a couple of guys, started a business with them, and after about a year, it did not work, and we were broke. And so then we were just kind of shuffling around. We both lost our self-confidence. One thing led to another, we got a uh, consulting job where we actually had to go into the office every day, which we never did. We always had an office, we did the work, we'd bring it in, have meetings, and come back. Um, but anyway, we were in a 40-hour week thing, driving both of us crazy. And my older son was having drug issues, and he had been having drug issues for quite a while. We grew up in the late 60s, coming of age, so we were a little bit lenient about the whole drug thing, but we didn't really know what we were in for because of the type of substances that were around. You know, he started really kind of losing it, and some days we didn't know where he was, other days he'd come home, and you know, we were just kind of at bay. We were working the job we were working was very stressful. We were working, uh, you know, 60 hours a week doing intense stuff, but nothing really that important, but we had to just keep at it. And so one day we came home from work. Uh, we both worked together, my wife and I. And we drove home, came home, and we had that phone machine back then when nobody had cell phones. And it was beeping five times. And I looked at my wife and I said, well, this has to be somebody trying to get in touch with us. And then we heard it was a detective that had found my son on the ground. Well, actually, the police found him on the ground. He was two blocks from the hospital, so they saved his life. And then he came out, proceeded to get totally addicted to pain medicine. But we just kind of started to be at bay. And right after we got shot, I got let go from a job because of various reasons, um, none really having to do with my performance. But anyway, so I was left without a job. My wife kept going in for a while. We were taking care of our son who was in really bad shape, still in bed. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And I, you know, I was at that point desperately trying to not drink, but not doing a very good job. And then what happened after a while, I got myself to AA, and I figured, all right, time to get serious, let's go. And I went to AA, and I always sat in the back of the room thinking, there's no way I'm going to do this. There's no way this is going to work for me. I wasn't saying this is bullshit. I was just saying, I just don't see a fit. And of course, when you leave AA meetings and you think that you're not going to make it in AA, you start to even feel worse about yourself if that's possible. But I used to be so nervous from AA meetings that I'd stop and get a beer on the way home. And so, you know, I got myself down to about a beer or two a day. And then I was still physically strung out, but psychologically a total wreck. And that's when I got into my benzo experience. My doctor started giving me stuff for my anxiety. And he was a really decent guy, and he was a pretty good doctor, but he didn't understand addiction at all. And finally, I uh, got addicted to benzos, ended up in the hospital. I made the decision to go in just to get off them, and it took me a while after that to get off them. But during that time, when I was starting to adjust to not having anything to I uh, started reading all about Eastern meditation practices 
and I run into this guy called Sadhguru, who my wife says looks like a Hollywood guru. And she's right about that. I said, I really don't care what he looks like. I like what he's saying. And he had a guided meditation that I would do every morning. And without knowing really why I was doing it, I would go down to my filthy rented basement and sit there and just listen to this guy and close my eyes. And then I started reading his books and he had a lot of uh, videos around. And I started, he started saying, you know, if you do this for a couple of weeks, you're going to start to feel better. And if you find yourself on any kind of psychological medication, which I was still on, he said, after a month or so of doing this seriously, you'll come off it by about 75%. So I'm like, well, this sounds like what I need. All I got to do is give this up and just sit there and do it, which is what I did. Then one thing led to another about six months later, I was meditating every day, really into meditation, and started volunteering at the local libraries. I did about 10 or 12 presentations, public presentations for free. And I really enjoyed it. And then a job showed up at an inner city clinic over in Hartford, which is about 10 minutes from me. And so they were looking for a meditation person. And I'm like, okay. So I went over there and they said, you know, tell me something about yourself, blah, 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 blah. Well, 10 minutes interview, they said, you got it. You got the job. Why don't you come over once a week? and do a class for the people, be open enrollment. I said, fine. After about six months, my people in the class started asking their therapists if they could, if there was any way they could see me on a one-on-one basis. And so I did that for the better part of about eight months, got really busy. And then um, politically, it just didn't work because the therapist started thinking that I was doing stuff, and I didn't know what it was. People were getting better, but it didn't have anything to do with them, so there was a big control thing going on. And uh, then the virus hit, so I, I kind of said, well, I can't keep coming in during the virus, so why don't we part? And we did, amicably, but it got me to the point where I realized, hey, that I had something to offer. B, there was a lot of people that were in the shape that I was in that needed a hand, and I felt comfortable be in that hand. So then I started uh, reaching out to people, doing one-on-ones, sometimes remote, sometimes having them in my office. Right, right a while after that, I got a job with Mindful, being a, mind, a meditation coach, which is what I still do part-time, and I do some other stuff. But the drinking was gone after I was damn I was 60 years old when I quit. And I had probably when I look back on it, known that alcohol was a problem for me, probably from the age 16, because I was hanging yeah. around some pretty heavy drinkers, but I, I always felt like <clears throat> I needed a little bit more than they did. And I also felt like they could not be experiencing hangovers that I was experiencing, or they would stop this madness now. But I would just be totally hungover, which, you know, started the Maybe I'll have a beer in the morning, feel better. Did that for a while. It worked till it didn't. Yeah, yeah. uh, Well, I think knowing that we've got a problem and actually doing something about it, (laughs) two very different things, aren't they? Yeah, because, you know, the wreck that you are from drinking too much neurologically. Now, see, when I got sober eight and a half years ago, I knew nothing about the science behind what happens to you. I had no idea. I put it all on my head. I was like, well, I'm messed up. That's a problem. Duh. 
But then I was, you know, I started, after I got sober and started working with people, I started reading about science and said, ah, so that's why it was so hard to do something that I knew I had to do for decades and would try and would be back in the race pretty quickly. And so I really didn't think there was any answer for me until I found meditation and was able to get some distance from the way I used to operate into something that was a lot more natural, but certainly a lot more healthy. But I didn't feel like I had to look outside for help. I really started to feel that I could do it. Yeah, that, that's wonderful to hear, Chuck. I'm going to send yeah. you a, a podcast interview I did with a meditation teacher a while ago. And he yeah. was a very heavy drinker, but he took out yeah. meditation and got really, really into it. Yeah. And then he just got to a stage where it wasn't congruent with his meditation anymore, yeah. you know. No, no, that's it. I mean, And I, he ditched you know, I, it. Yeah, I mean, I stopped first, so I don't have that same, similar, I mean, I have a similar experience, but... You know, I was just always very insecure about a lot of things, and I was never the kind of person that would overly share what was going on inside me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always had a bit of a guard up. That was something that I left behind when I started, you know, really meditating. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're in the early days of sobriety, you're a mess, you're mad at yourself, yeah. a lot of people around you are mad at you, would you? Yeah. And it's just a very difficult thing to do, which is, is why yeah. I like these social groups on mm. you know, social media, because there's a place that you have kindred spirits, some of them are a little ahead of you, some of them Maybe yeah, be and they inspire you if they're ahead of you, and yeah. if they're behind you, Absolutely. you think, oh, I don't want to go back there. <laughs> That's right, and you don't want to feel, you, you start to feel more empowered. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, meditation is a great thing, but what it does do for you after a short while is give you that sense of connection with yourself. Yes, and, yeah. You know, if you want to call it the universe, but then what happens is you start to get connections with fellow humans. You know, it might be as easy as uh, the person that's checking out your groceries, or it may be something serious. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. You've mentioned that you've suffered from anxiety, and I think, you know, a lot of us drinkers have as well. And the irony is that we used to use alcohol trying to dampen our anxiety down and trying to cope. Yes, it makes it much worse, doesn't it? Much worse, much worse. My uh, younger son, when he came home when the virus started, a couple months months into his stay here, uh, he looked at me and he said, so you're not anxious anymore? And I'm like, no, I'm not. He goes, you got to be lying to me. I know you. You've got to be anxious. you just covered it up. I'm like, trust me, I am not. You know, having been told by medical professionals, psychological professionals, that I had something deep inside me that made me anxious, I mean, general anxiety, whatever they call it, I'd be like, no, it's not me anymore. And you gotta wonder 
how much anxiety I had to start with before I started to Yeah, yeah. No because just as, just as alcohol kind of rewires our brain, doesn't it? Um, perhaps yeah. meditation also rewires it, but in well, a good it does. way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it certainly does. Yeah, talk, talk to us about that. When I teach meditation to people and work with them, you know, counseling kind of stuff, I use the witness idea that came yeah. from Eastern, uh, you know, meditation systems, the whole watching and, uh, you know, being aware of what you're thinking and feeling and all that stuff and getting that just bit of distance from all of the madness that goes through your head on a given day. You know, neuroscientists are telling us that we have anywhere from 20,000 to 70,000 individual thoughts every 24-hour period. <laughs> and what happens is it gets pernicious. It just keeps going on and kind of lulls us into some complacency that is always short of being happy. And so meditation says, hey, we get this. We get all these thoughts that start as soon as you wake up and don't stop until you're desperately trying to fall asleep at night. But if you're able to flip the coin over a bit and turn into the person that's watching what's happening up here, the spell breaks. Yeah. The trance breaks. When I had uh, first started to be a hypnotherapist 20 something years ago, uh, one of the first things the guy that was teaching me said uh, to the class was uh, hypnotherapy is a trance. That's why people like to be put under a trance. But what you have to understand is we are all in a trance all the time. Trance is just the narrowing of attention whatever it is you're doing, whether it's a term paper or making dinner or what, you're shutting everything else off to do that one thing. And so this complacent, sitting back and just fighting or running away from all the stuff that's going on in your head, that's never going to stop until you take that step back and watch yourself doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I heard you say. Uh, I heard you say on a podcast. It made me laugh. Uh, you said when you get anxious and you you have anxious thoughts, you just say, "Oh, there goes that clown again." <laughs> That's right. I every now and then I I now meditate first thing in the morning, and uh, every couple of weeks I'll be a little ways into it. And I'll start to feel that crippling anxiety over my chest. Now, in the old days without meditation, that'd be all I needed. I would just be, I never tried the entire day, looking for something to take the edge off. Now I'm able to sit there and go, oh, like you said, yeah. oh, this guy again. No yeah. way. And before yeah. I even say, way, it's over. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So what I realized I did was, yeah, I had some anxiety, but I made a big deal out of it. I just kept feeding it, saying, oh, you're anxious. Oh, mm -hmm. you're anxious again. Oh, I think you need a drink. Oh, you're anxious. You can't do this without a drink. You're anxious. You're too anxious. And I would just keep that yeah. going. Yeah. 
I was working with a, a gentleman a few weeks ago that had his first panic attack. And he was in his 30s and he was flipped out. So I said, well, when you have a panic attack, your life just comes apart. But I said, now what you're doing is worrying about when am I going to have another one? I said, there's no science that says you have to have another one. Because it was so upsetting, you spend all your time saying, what is going to happen now? What is going to happen when I have dinner with my parents tomorrow? Yeah. What is going to happen when I'm driving to work? Well, that's all projection. There's no real reason why you would think that, except for you're buying that worst-case scenario, because you just went through something totally unsettling, which yeah. I get. But yeah. let's just call it the way it is. Maybe that was something that happened, so you could do this kind of stuff and see that you do have control over this. It's a tough lesson, but it's over. So let's just keep going. And he said, well, my psychiatrist wants to give me these drugs. I'd be like, I don't think you need drugs. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need drugs. He'd be like, don't think that's risky? I said, what do you think? If you're able to take a step back, yeah. it doesn't become a crisis anymore. So you have to learn to settle yourself down. When you start to have those thoughts about another panic attack, use your breath to just set things right. And yeah. after three or four sessions, next time I saw him, he said, I really am not worried about so more. Yeah, I'm concentrating on my health. I'm trying yeah. to eat better. Yeah. See? See? Do you see? Mm. Yeah, I do see. <laughs> so it's great when that happens. And he didn't have any substance problems. He was just an overextended young father who had moved a couple times and didn't know what he was doing. So, sure. But I've worked with a lot of people out there in I wanted to ask you about your corporate work because I, I gather that you uh, go into corporates and do meditation because I had a, a long corporate career and it made a drinker out of me actually because we were, wherever I worked, you know, and I worked in two or three big companies, there was always this culture, you know, we used to work really hard, but then we used to play really hard. Yeah. And play always meant drinking, you know, and the company was paying and we'd all party together and it would be fun, you know, until the next morning or until it's not fun anymore. But that's, you know, I I really developed quite a serious habit because of that. And I, I was an HR director, actually. So um, yeah. I, I'm just thinking, um, you know, if someone came, if I was still in corporates and someone like yourself came to me and, and said, you know, I want to offer meditation to your employees, I, I would think that's an amazing idea and so much better than offering them alcohol <laughs> and poisoning yeah. them. No. And I just wanted to ask you what kind of uh, reception you're getting. You know, are people open to it? Well, I mean, one of the big firms that I work with is uh, Deloitte. They're okay, well, they're big. International, yeah. 225,000 people. And what I do with them is they're all stressed out, kind of management, usually. And uh, I meet with them a few times just to try to deal with whatever is bothering them. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of work-life balance, as they call it. They can't really find that balance, which I help them with. And then there's also the unbelievable demands that you get with a 24-hour international commerce, 
so that I can't tell you how many people I've had that say, first thing I do when I wake up the morning is check the email and see if everybody needs me right that second. And yeah. I'd be like, well, can't you just wait 10 minutes for that? they give me the look like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but, you know, I'm able to work with them a little bit so that they do take that time. And they realize that, uh, you know, the maze just keeps going on. And whether they started at 10 of 7 or 7, it really doesn't matter. In the course of things, they could have gotten up 10 minutes late. I'm like, just give yourself some time. Because I know how it is when you wake up in the morning and you're totally stressed. I mean, you're just in a reactive mode, and if you don't watch it, you're in a reactive mode until you finally log off on, I don't know, Saturday morning at 2 a.m. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, so I, I, I try to, my meditation with these people is usually pretty secular, pretty, how can I be a little bit calmer? How can I be less hard on myself? How can I take criticism better? How can I forget criticism and realize where it came from? You know, all that kind of stuff. But I will tell you, in the short sessions I do with them, after the first 10 minutes, I can tell I have them, and I can feed them stuff that's really going to help them. So um, it's been pretty successful. I mean, I made my life in corporate America. I know how the, the vibe goes there. And I know that if I walked into the companies that I've been working with 20 years ago, it would probably be a tougher yeah. uh, place to work because there's so much instability. And, you know, now we have to worry about layoffs. You know, the good news is I know when everybody was home, everybody was just doing what they were doing. They just happened to be home. Now they're all back in the office and they're all talking to each other, probably saying, you know that layoff's coming in January. <laughs> You know, so then that madness starts. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. I'll start hearing about that with the Deloitte people anytime yeah. now because, you know, then it's like, oh, the economy's stacking, uh, and then they yeah. get into that collective, I'm going to lose my yeah. job or my yeah. life's gone or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah, so those, those time zones are killers, aren't they? I mean, we've got people in our tribe that, you know, we have meetings and uh, there's invariably a few that say, oh, you know, I've got such pressure at work and I really plan to come, but I just can't. Yeah. And it's about making time for ourselves, isn't it? Well, I mean, it is the, the work will never, will never end. You know, I, mean, I remember that from my corporate life. And when I was very junior, I had a nice boss yeah. who said to me, because I, I would work late, you know, and keep trying to get through everything. And he'd say to me, um, you know, your work is about people. <laughs> it's never going to end. There's never going to be true. an empty in-tray. So forget it. You know, That's look right. after yourself. Go home at yeah. six o'clock. So I tried to learn from him. But the, back in those days, of course, we did. We weren't online. We didn't have 24-7 work yeah, my young, flying my at us. Son, yeah, my younger son is a lawyer for a big firm in uh, Manhattan. And, you know, he's, he works 24-7. Yeah, he's yeah. totally burned out. And he's usually in a somewhat bad mood because of all the pressure that he's under and uh, he's also a perfectionist so he can't send anything out until it's mm -hmm. perfect so i work with him on that you know the whole uh, perspective of things always having to be 100 percent right in a world where that very rarely happens 
Do you have him meditating? Yeah, I do, but Good. I'm his father, so yeah, he, yeah. Needs find, <laughs> he needs to find some guy down the street telling him to do it because I'm his father, so yeah, it works, yeah. but it's a slow message. <laughs> slow. So you're a hypnotherapist as well, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Talk to me about yeah. how that can help someone that's dependent on alcohol, having some hypnotherapy. Well, yeah, the sessions, the straight hypnotherapy sessions I do for people in recovery gives them the idea that they can remove themselves from the madness that's gone through their head. And so the way that I use hypnotherapy is I say, okay, we're going to get into a hypnotherapy trance here and you're going to just sit there quietly and listen. To, I'm going to tell you some stories and... Uh, just kind of take you some places that maybe you're not familiar with. But at the end of it, I always say, you don't need me for this. You can do this yourself because what you're doing is changing, temporarily changing the narrative up here to give you something objective outside of yourself that you can concentrate on, which is the same idea behind meditation. I have a lot of people that call me and say, I've got to lose 30, 40 pounds. I've tried everything. I'm sick of being heavy, and I don't know what to do. I can't stop myself. So then they say, you're the hypnotherapist, right? You can help me. And I'm like, yeah, I can help you. But it's not going to happen in 75 minutes. But what I'll teach you is a way for you to deal with the fact that you're constantly being ashamed of yourself eating too much and I just do it in a very gentle kind of low-key way but my goal is to have the person understand that they do have a bit of control over these things and there isn't a bad Nancy and a good Nancy up here it's just one Nancy and it depends which one you want to spend your time with right yeah so you know, and it's some people don't get it. Some people just say, I want to be put out of a trance and I want to walk out of your office and I want to never eat much again. And I'm like, probably not going to happen. No, and you don't no. want to fail again. Because the people that I have that are trying to quit drinking, trying to quit eating, smoking, whatever it is, <laughs> pills, they, Unit. You can't do it all at once, that's you know, for sure. I mean, I just teach them that they can be their yeah. own advocate. Yeah. And when they are their own advocate, which means finding within them the tools to deal with these things, they'll be happier, clearer, they'll like themselves more, and they'll like everybody around them just a bit yeah. more. Yeah. They'll have more patience. I find that I've turned into a fix-it guy around the house, and my wife used to make fun of me and say, Chuck is one of those guys, he doesn't have a tool chest, he's got like a tool cup. And I'd be like, yeah, I don't do that stuff. Well, guess what? When something breaks in the house, I walk over to it, and I take a look, and I can usually figure out how to fix it. It's interesting. That's very interesting, My mother was isn't alive, it? she wouldn't believe it. She would not <laughs> believe it. But here we are, and I and it's only because of practicing meditation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just it's given you patience, hasn't it? 
Yeah. yeah. He does a lot of patience. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, people tell me I got a lot more creative after I started meditating. I'm able to do those things that were always just out of my reach. Yeah. You know, so I like to use meditation because I say it fixes everything. So, yeah. uh, you know, whatever it is you come to me with, I'll, my thing is taking whatever it is that's challenging you right now and showing you how the simple idea of practicing meditation will help you and can yeah. help you. Yeah. I think a lot of us struggle to stop drinking because we have a lot of limiting beliefs. You know, we believe Absolutely. that we. We Usually have to drink to have fun. Yeah. yeah. Right. We have to, or we can't, we're too anxious to function without alcohol, or we need right. alcohol to relax. We have all these limiting beliefs, don't we? And what I yeah. understand is that they're held in your subconscious. Yeah. And yeah. I wondered if hypnotherapy would kind of help somebody to interrogate those beliefs and try to overturn them somehow. Yeah, it's just not, um, the thing with hypnotherapy is it's not linear. So it's not something that you can t use to uh, analyze and find another way. It's more showing you that this overactive mind needs to calm down a bit for you to be able to find your answer. And that's what hypnotherapy does. It takes you away from this constant, pernicious narrative and put you in a different place where everything is possible. That's what it does. And, you know, it just shifts your consciousness temporarily. So when you get out of it, you're very relaxed and you're not as ready to fall into whatever this is that you're obsessing about. There's a great meditation teacher called John Kabat-Zinn, and one of his main points is Meditation shows you that you do not have to live your life constantly wishing things were different. Yeah. And it took me a long time to really let that penetrate. But, I mean, that's, you look at something and say, if only, if only. And meditation shows you that you don't have to fall for that. Yeah. Because just like everything else, if only just keeps going on and has no end. It's always, it's not quite right. And you put your, I always tell my people at Deloitte, I said, you know, they hired you at Deloitte because you were bright. I said, but what happens to people that are bright is they get totally enthralled with their own cleverness. Yeah. I said, that's something we have to kind of reasonably find a way out of. Because when yeah. you think that you're the smart one, then everybody else is not. And then you're into that divisive, judgmental, mindset that doesn't stop and it's no fun yeah I, yeah i think so many people especially those clever types you know deloitte and places they're never actually in the moment are they you know they're no, always they're planning always and strategizing about, and no i mean it's just and with this remote and constant uh you know hitting you up with phone calls texts emails Zoom calls, blah, 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 blah. No wonder you feel like you're kind of falling back yeah. and not good enough. I mean, that's just the way it is. So you have to, I'm not telling you to harden yourself up. I'm just saying, look at it a different way. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, I think reframing things is really powerful, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I was. I also. I'm also a neurolinguistic programmer guy. Okay. And uh, that was their big point was reframing everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a that was some wisdom I needed when I learned how to do it. Yeah, we say, yeah, when people come to us and they say we have a drinking problem, we say, no, you don't. You have an opportunity to uh, really improve your life here. Yeah, I did a short session that I threw on my YouTube channel about that, about how recovery is an invitation. Yeah, it is. uh, You know, most people probably say, oh, really? Well, I'd like a different kind of invitation. (laughs) Well, you know what? You got what you got. Yeah. And you really can use it because there's people that have that have done it, and we're no better than you were. Yeah. Might be worse. Yeah, and I mean, recovery is about so much more than not drinking, isn't it? You know, that's the first bit. And then you you have to change things. Well, you got a lot of hours of the day you got to fill, and, you know, you don't watch it, you can't figure out how to do that. I just wondered, Chuck, if anyone's listening to this and they're thinking, oh, God, what am I going to do? I've really got to stop drinking. What would you say to them? First of all, give up any ideas that you had about what it would be like to quit drinking. To put all that aside. And also, I would suggest that they start to use a couple of long, slow, intentional breaths to just reset themselves. And I would tell them that they should be encouraging themselves because what they're trying to do is different but it's exactly what they need to do. And I would also tell them that the substance they've been ingesting is telling them in loud language that they can't do this. And then they start looking at all their past failures and then they're off to the races. I would suggest that they spend some time just sitting with themselves and realizing that although they're flawed, every single person walking the planet is flawed in their own way. So I would say, hey, inside you is something that you can tap into to make this narrative a little different. Yeah, that's, that's so powerful, that, isn't it, to think that well, we've got what we need inside right, us and it's a matter of right. tapping into that, that peace right. that and, we have. And, you know, and it's not a logical thing because when you wake up in the morning with your 20,000 hangover, you know there's something that you need to do. Yeah. But it's hard to do it. Yeah. So I would say you've got the self-confidence, you've got the power inside you to turn this narrative around and first go easy with yourself. But once you get to the point where you see that there's something inside you that you can tap into, that is really the universal energy if you want to describe it that way. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation.
So, Chuck, we know that meditation teaches us patience to be objective, to take a step back. It kind of teaches us to put in the pause, doesn't it? And that, that's so important in early sobriety when we get triggered to drink because our automatic response is obviously just to grab a drink. But we have to learn to pause, don't we? And you've very kindly offered to uh, do a short meditation for us that I'm going to make available for people just to have on their phone and turn to if they feel triggered to drink. But before I hand over to you to do that, which is how we'll end the podcast, just talk to us a little bit about how people can connect with you and, um, you know, the, the best way that they can find you. Yeah. Well, there's several ways to uh, get in touch with me. I have uh, a website called theinnertheater.com, and it's spelled T-H-E-A-T-E-R. I know my British friends want to uh, change those last couple letters around, but it's the inner theater at Gmail. So that's one way. And I also have a, uh, I put up a YouTube channel about a month ago, so I haven't really done much with it, but there's about 20 or 25 short recordings, and only a couple of them are dealing with recovery specifically, but they all apply. Because um, I do work with people that are not in recovery, at least from alcohol. They might be in recovery from several other things up here. But, uh, yeah, so that's one way. And then I'm on Facebook as Chuck Shad. Since meditation really saved me from addiction, but also, I think, saved my life, my goal at my age right now is to reach as many people as possible. And whatever it is that's gotcha about recovery, I can surely give you some help. Because it really uh, is something that changes your entire perspective. First on yourself, and you have a easier time to kind of put the past behind and not worry about how you're going to be later and taking advantage of just this one usually forgotten moment that they call now and really words don't really describe it but the peace that you touch when you start to meditate goes way deeper than all of the repetitive cycles of thoughts and habits and believe me I know exactly what that's all about but this is a different more natural it's really for me after a bit meditation was just a complete relief from the melodrama that I had going on in my head for wow. down yeah well, I must say, uh, I think almost every day there's a new piece of research coming out, isn't there, about the benefits of meditation, yeah, and true. it's really becoming mainstream now, which is amazing. It's not yeah, it's, it's not some hippy-drippy thing that, you know, you have no, to go to not. India to do. No. Everybody, everybody and corporates are taking it up, which is, right. is amazing. No, I mean, it's a great, different, natural, as I said, entirely natural way of being 
and yeah. uh, really doesn't look much like the old way that I was being. Um, so it's it's just a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, and as the world gets more and more crazy, and yeah, the time zones. Yes. <laughs> yes, we we all need need some peace. <clears throat> no, that's right. So let me hand over to you, Chuck. It's very kind of you to do this for us. And sure. what we're doing here is Chuck is doing a meditation that um, could be helpful for you if you're triggered to drink. So I'm going to suggest that you keep this meditation on your phone. And if you do feel twitchy about six o'clock, like I used to, because that was my opening the wine time, put yeah. a, have a listen to Chuck instead. This is going to be a short, maybe five minutes. So as uh, Janet was saying, if you're feeling a certain way at a certain time of the day or any time of the day, I want you to just kind of quiet down a bit and remember that these urges that you're trying to get past are only there by repetition. They're there because the thoughts up in your head just keep repeating over and over. And it will be almost impossible to not have those thoughts because that's part of the way that you were. And so I just invite you to close your eyes for a couple of minutes and wherever you are, doesn't matter if you're driving. You better stop, though. Um, but you can be sitting in your chair. You can be sitting upright in your bed. Or you can be sitting outside. But wherever it is that you find yourself right now, I want you to take two or three long, slow, Deep, deep breaths. And as you take that second or third deep breath, you're going to feel just a bit more relaxed. And as you settle into this natural, relaxed state, just be with the breath. I like to call these intentional breaths. Because as humans, our breath is a natural anchor that we can use to just turn the intensity level and all those repetitive desires. So when you feel that urge, you first get a bit annoyed, but that's all right. Using your breath, you can see that following that urge is only one possibility of what you're going to do next. So as you Feeling calmer now, just a bit more objective, 
inside yourself. Stay with that breathing in, out, in, and out. Just breathing. Just doing yourself a favor and disengaging from the madness that goes through your mind. So taking a couple more long, slow, deep breaths. I want you to remember at any time of the day, you can do this by just sitting quietly and taking a look at those thoughts. You're not running from them. You're not fighting with them. You're just letting them be. And remember, you have tens of thousands of thoughts through your head every day. And these urges are just a couple of them. In, out, in, and out. Let's just take a couple more. Long, slow, deep. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes and come back to that space around you. That's really all you have to do. No running, no fighting. Just being here. That's it. <laughs>